0: to Joshua Cremer. Joshua is one of only a handful of Indigenous barristers working in Australia. He spends a lot of time working with Indigenous communities so he is very well placed to talk about the voice to Parliament and the impact it will have and to help inform us about the voice and the vote that we are all taking part in. Voting is already open so if you're eligible you can go and cast your vote early but the rest of us it is October the 14th. Now, Joshua's joined us. Joshua, first off, thank you for joining us. You are backing the YES campaign. Why is that?
1: Yes, thanks for having me, Alex. And uh, my work as a barrister over the last 12 years is focused really on Australia's history. I've got a deep understanding of the the legislation or the laws that have affected Indigenous people across this country. And I understand well how um, through the protection legislation in the the uh, 1800s right up until the mid 1970s, every aspect of Indigenous people's lives were controlled, uh, particularly in Queensland, where they lived, who they married, what what they wore, uh, what level of education they could receive, what job they had. They had no autonomy or decision-making. And really that period has entrenched a lot of the disadvantage, the social and economic disadvantage we see today, because part of that legislation because people worked, but they weren't entitled to their wages as well. Uh, and so looking at that history and seeing what this voice uh, proposal is, it's a really, it's a minor one in some way. It's, it's simply saying, give us an opportunity as Aboriginal people to have a say in laws that affect us. Um, it, it is minor in terms, I think, of, of a legal consequence, but hugely significant in, in the context of our history and the lack of autonomy Indigenous people have had. And so that's why I'm supporting the Voice.
0: So, what are those key benefits that the Voice to Parliament can bring for Indigenous Australians and for the broader Australian community?
1: Well, firstly, for Indigenous Australians, participation in decision making. Uh, really, the first time uh, it's been entrenched in our history, and there has been decision making bodies in our past, but they've been easy to, to basically get rid of, and that's happened a number of times. And for Indigenous, uh, for non-Indigenous Australia, I think there's a there's a number of things, but as they say, um, firstly, in any decision that should be made, wouldn't you want to have access to the best knowledge and best insights available? And that's what The Voice is proposing. And so I think for non-Indigenous Australia, actually better outcomes. Um, We've seen so much policy, so much law. Uh, I, I don't know any other race in the world, or particularly Australia, that has been so heavily legislated, and we are still not happy with the outcomes. Indigenous Australia should not be happy with the outcomes to date. And I spend a lot of my time travelling across Australia, but particularly to remote re- regions across the Kimberleys and Northern Territory. And I see the stark dis- uh, consequences of bad laws which have severely impacted Indigenous people. And, and really, it's a time to draw a light in the sand. Poor policy, poor law, poor legislation, poor frameworks. Um, let's move on and let's make a real difference. And, and hopefully the voice as I say, we'll see better outcomes for all Australia and and finally we'll be able to deal with some of this entrenched disadvantage which has been there now for well over a century in some communities.
0: As you said, you work a lot with remote Indigenous communities and we've heard some of the stats and some of the numbers being touted around saying 80% of First Nations people, First Nations and Indigenous people want the yes vote. But there are some prominent Indigenous Australians who are backing the no campaign. Is, there, is, is that what you're hearing on the ground? Are there, are there people who are against this for any reason?
1: Not on the ground, I haven't, no. Um, but I guess, there, as, as you say, there's been I think, at least two uh, analysis that I saw with 80% support of Indigenous, uh, Indigenous Australia. And people do want change. I mean, people are. See, I've seen two or three or four gen- generations of families stuck in this cycle. And people really want significant change and The Voice is, is the first opportunity for us to be able to say let's do it and something entrenched in the constitution and hopefully a springboard for something significant in the future.
0: So how does this break the cycle then if, we, if we're talking about The, the, the Voice itself how, what exactly is going to happen
1: if, if this comes back as a yes? Well Look, I encourage your viewers to look at the voice design principles, and there's a number of principles, about 12 of those that set out the framework in which the voice will operate. Um, there'll be, there'll be re- representation at the regional level and then at the local level, the regional level and at the national level. And so the, hopefully those issues like the, you know, the, the access, the limited access to education, Northern Territory, the poor housing in the Northern Territory. Um, you know, the, the, the youth justice issues in Queensland and the Kimberleys, hopefully those will actually be advocated now at a national frame, at a national level, and something that the federal government will have to really intervene and make significant changes on.
0: Yeah, youth justice in, in Queensland has become quite a hot topic at the moment. How will the voice impact the changes that we're asking for there?
1: Well, when you look at the data, there's about 400 kids are the issue. In Queensland, it's not a, it's not you know, hundreds of, and thousands or thousands of kids. It's 400 kids, um, and about 400 of those children, uh, and about 80% of those children are actually under orders from the Department of Child Safety. So, the government has intervened in their life and actually has that responsibility to look after them, and so the government has, has actually failed on that duty. A lot, of, some of those kids have been removed from their families as young you know, as babies. Some, you know, in the maternity ward. I know I've worked on these cases. Uh, and so it's not a community failing, it's not family failing, it's actually the government who've intervened, taken on the responsibility to care for these children, have not provided the proper access to housing and education and, and have let these issues um, in, increase or affect the broader communities. So perhaps better accountability at the government level will be one critical factor in actually addressing these issues because often I've seen um, with Indigenous issues, they've usually been Slants it off to the community or, or you know, the blame's put on the community or families or whatever. But when you actually dig deep enough, you understand the law has had a real impact and there's never been any accountability at the government level. So hopefully um, the voice will hold governments to account for their failings in the Indigenous community, including in youth justice.
0: One um, argument I've seen on the, on the no side of things is that the voice itself doesn't go far enough. Could it have gone further or could it go further?
1: Oh, Look, it could. Um, I've done some work in Canada and in Canada they've got treaty rights, they've got constitutional rights and they've got a Bill of Rights. Uh, We don't have any of that in in, uh, Australia but there's no proposal for that. Um, There is a proposal to take a step forward and this is, I think, a a reasonable one in the context of our history um, and not so unreasonable that it will jeopardise, you know, the structure of our systems or it will. I doubt it will impact Anybody on a day-to-day basis, or most people in the communities, uh, and so I think the the proposal is reasonable, and it's one I will support. But there is always there's there's always an opportunity to have an alternate. Um, there's always opportunities to look at you know what could we do differently. But none of those proposals have been solidified. And I just want to emphasise um, this has been at least a 15-year process, and some of your viewers will know that this kick this proposal started with. Um, something that was put forward from John Howard around to the 2007 election. There's been a number of uh, committees at the parliamentary level. So both the Senate and the uh, legislative committee reviewing this, there's been a referendum council, about five or six really significant reports. And so all those reports have landed to this conclusion. And so there might be other options out there somewhere, but um, a lot of research, a lot of work, at the parliamentary level and from experts across Australia have gone into this proposal, and this is where they've landed.
0: So what happens then if the result comes back as a no after all that time, all that effort? If if, if it's a no, is it a door completely closed to, like you say, moving forward to treaty and that kind of thing?
1: I, I think it takes a lot of political bravery to do anything in the Indigenous space. I mean, you've just you've seen over the last couple of months, it uh, doesn't win a lot of votes. <laughs> uh, Indigenous people, only 3% of the... Uh, the community. So that's you know, not going to affect the outcome of an election. Uh, and so it might dent some of the political bravery that we've seen, but uh, Queensland has passed the Path to Treaty Act that calls for the Treaty Institute as well as uh, um, uh, inquiry in relation to truth telling. Victoria have taken a number of steps. Um, this federal government in the current budget have funded a consultation process into truth telling. So. There are a number of measures which I think will continue, but it will I think it will impact the confidence of some of our
0: parliamentarians
1: around the country.
0: Yeah, it always gets messy when it becomes political, but has it surprised you how divisive it has been and how, how the argument has kind of swung?
1: Alex, I grew up in Australia, mm-hmm. so I understand well. <laughs> I understand mm-hmm. well all the pockets of our community and I understand a lot of the structural barriers that Indigenous people face. Uh, Look, it's hurtful, actually, to see some of the things that get said, said about um, Aboriginal people and some of the things I've seen online, the, the memes and um, the and things that have been put up recently. It, personally, it's hurtful. and I think it'll have an impact on a lot of Indigenous people who see those things. But it's not surprising. Um, it, you know, We have a really strong part of the community who um, will always support Indigenous issues there's another part of the community that will always, I think, think rationally and want to um, make good informed decisions and ultimately will get to the point where they want to support issues like this. But there are segments of the community that um, just absolutely hate Indigenous people and do not want to see um, any advancement at all. And that's, that's really because of our history that we had a history where Indigenous people were considered inferior and, and just used for their labour. And so that's that's continuing to entrench who we are. Yeah.
0: There is um, an awful lot of misinformation out there and, and things are getting very heated, but there are a lot of people who are still undecided and still don't really understand. So what, what would you say to them? What's what's the best thing that they can do other than, you know, find someone like you to talk to and to try and un- understand on, on the many levels that you understand it on?
1: Get informed. Um, the voice design principles there's a lot of information out there i'm involved with griffith university and they've published a lot of non-biased information you can search griffith the voice i know sbs are putting both sides of information and both sides of the yes and no jump online search google and find someone really reputable to give you that um, i've had the opportunity to read there's 270 submissions made in the last uh, joint parliamentary uh, select committee in relation to this issue and there's some of our top legal minds have um, and organisations have submitted, made submissions. So um, Law Council of Australia, New South Wales Bar Association, um, Professor Anne Toomey, uh, there's a lot of really um, highly respected people. Uh, another one, our former Chief Justice of High Court, Robert French, just spoke on it today at the National Press Club. There's a lot of information from reliable sources that's easy to access and you should have regard to. And, and all of those uh, organisations I've mentioned and individuals have supported The Voice. Okay, Josh.
0: Thank you. As Joshua says, if you are undecided, please do your research. You can find the links on Instagram and my stories all to The Voice. There's plenty of information out there from both sides of the campaign. There's no no lack of information, so there's no reason to be uninformed when you go to the polls. Polls, of course, are open at the moment. If you're eligible to vote early, do go and do so now. Otherwise, everyone else will be voting on October the 14th. Joshua Kremer, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Alex.